Please have a seat, everybody. Wonderful. It's time now for our children's sermon. So I want to invite our kids up. I think, make sure my microphone's on here. It's on. So the guys up front are probably going to get that switched on in a minute. So we have a special message now for our kids. If you are visiting with us and this is your first time, any child who wants to come forward and come on up here. Come on up, guys. All right, have a seat. It's good to see you guys today. Test one, two. Is this, is this coming on or do I need to grab a microphone? They're working on it. Thank you. Test one. Okay. There we are. All right. There it is. All right. I use a microphone. I know you guys can hear me without one, but this is kind of for you and for your parents, all right? They really like to hear what we're saying up here. How are you guys doing today? It's good to see you. You guys are all kind of lined up like a pew, so I got to like, I'm going to get like a neck cramp trying to look both directions over here. Today we're talking about unity, and we're talking about disunity as well. So there is a little bit of disunity in the world. Would you guys... Do you guys agree with that? What are some ways that the world is kind of, you know, things that you see outside, you know, in the world that kind of make people disunified? Okay, sin. Sin is the cause of that. That's great. Yeah. What are things that people disagree about? Oh, politics. Yes. Hit the nail on the head. Everyone's nervous now, Ari. That's a good one. They're all nervous. And angry right now. And we're going to talk about politics today, too. It's a good one. Is there anything else that people disagree with uh, about out there? What do you think? What do you say? Dinosaurs. dinosaurs. You know, that's true. People do disagree about, and specifically when dinosaurs were on the earth. And I've talked about that before in the past. That's a good one. Uh, yeah, people disagree. Yeah. Religion. Come back to you. Go ahead. About what to call stuff? Yeah, that's good. Man, you guys are intuitive. You really nail all those things. Those are things I'm going to talk about today and over the next few weeks. But you know that God called us as believers to be unified amidst or within a culture that's disunified. So God called us to agree with one another in the middle of all these arguments. Did you know that? You know one way, uh, something we've been doing over the past few weeks here at Fifth Street Baptist Church is, is this. What is this? Okay, when, we, when we're wearing this shirt, what's going to happen that day? There's a baptism, right? And, and a baptism is really a symbol of unity in our church. When we're baptized, we're telling the world, I've committed to follow Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I'm going to be baptized to demonstrate or to show the world that I'm a Christian, right? That's what it means. So when someone's baptized, everybody wears one of these shirts as a demonstration that we're all behind you. We're all unified uh, with you as you decide to follow Jesus. And so we're going to talk today about unity, all right, in a disunified world. So the word of the day today, can anyone guess it? Unity, unity that's right. You guys are so smart. So what I want you to do, if you guys have never been here before, is I want you to count how many times I say the word unity, and then on your way out, you can let me know, okay? All right, thank you for coming up here. You can go back and sit with your, your parents now, okay? All right. All right, so we're off. This guy's 
Test one. Oh, there it is. Okay. And you can turn me down a hair. We're getting a little bit of a, a squeal there. I think this goes back over here. All right. Thank you guys for bearing with us on that as we, uh, as we get our AV together. You know, it's interesting. Our AV team, they work very, very hard. They come in during the week. They tune all the equipment. And then, you know what happens on Sunday morning? It's like they worked all week and then all of a sudden, randomly, nothing works the way they think it's supposed to work. And so now, when things don't work on Sunday morning the way they'd hoped, if you were to turn around, you would see them moving about 200 miles an hour to make things work. And so that's some pressure, and they did it. And so thank you guys. It's working, and we're back in it. Um, I've got a question for you guys as we look at our text today. Do you think that there's division in our culture today? Lift your hand if you think that our culture is divided. Is there a spirit of division? We all agree on that. Our culture is so divided right now, it would be easier for us to list the things that we're unified around, right? The kids mentioned some of these things. We're, we're divided about just about everything. We're divided about politics. We can find things to disagree about medical decisions, about education, about finances, about taxes, about health care, about health insurance, about debt forgiveness, automobile manufacturing, energy production, foreign policy, and thankfully, college football has started back up, so that's one more thing that we can disagree about on Saturdays. Division impacts just about every single part of our nation. It's so infiltrated and intense that President Biden said one time that we are engaged in an uncivil war. I think the division of our culture has grown more and more intense since the COVID-19 pandemic. But I don't think that the pandemic created division. What I think happened is pandemic and the, and the pressures of the COVID-19 pandemic acted as a great wine press. You remember reading the Old Testament. The way that the Israelites used to make wine is they would have this great big uh, concrete pad and then this big sort of cylindrical piece of concrete and it would roll around on the grapes, right? And they would, they would push that along and the press itself would push that uh, juice out of all those grapes and the juice would flow down. And that was a wine press. And I think that COVID-19 and I think the pandemic acted as this great wine press on the culture of America and even of the world. And what we saw in the pandemic and now after the pandemic is really what comes out of the sinful human heart as a result of pressure. Now in this post-pandemic culture, as people and businesses and governments look for ways to capitalize on humanity's division, since many believe that one should never let a serious crisis go to waste, believers are asking a question. How do I live like Jesus in a divided world? How do I shine the light of Christ? How do I live out this gospel message in the midst of that? And the Bible provides an answer. We must unify around specific particularities that exist in the hearts and minds of all Christians. Well, how do we do that? We do that in three ways. First, we acknowledge that we have a purpose, that God gave every single believer, every single Christian, a unique purpose to fulfill on this earth. 
We recognize that God has a plan for us to fulfill that purpose. And finally, that the church has a particular ability to be miraculously unified in today's culture. And so let's talk first about our purpose. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. The, the words of Scripture will be on the screen. There's Bibles in your pews. You can look it up on your phone or your Bible if you brought one. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul writes to the church of Ephesus and says this, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. The argument that Paul makes in the next six verses about how we live like Jesus in a divided culture is founded upon the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. Here in verse 1, he writes, Therefore, and this means, in light of everything I just wrote to you, now you're going to do this. This is your course of action. Well, what did Paul write to the Ephesian believers in the first three chapters of this letter? He took three chapters to explain Everything that God has done for us. Let me explain that to you. Church, do you know that God has done a number of amazing and miraculous things for you? Do you know that? Do you believe that? Well, what has God done for us? What did Paul write that should compel us to action? Chapter 1. He blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He made us holy and blameless. He adopted us. He bestowed grace upon us. He made known every mystery of His will. He gave us an inheritance. He sealed us with the Holy Spirit. Chapter 2. He loved us even though we were dead in our sins and He made us alive in Christ. He raised us up and seated us with Him in heaven. He recreated us for good works. He saved both Jews and Greeks and unified all of us into one church. We are no longer strangers to God, but citizens of heaven with all the saints. He builds us up. Chapter 3, he made known to us the mysteries of Christ, and as of utmost importance, he also has within his plan a desire to save both Jews and Gentiles, and that's almost everyone in this room. He strengthens us through his power, and he roots and grounds us in love through Jesus. Now, as a result of all of these miraculous works, as a result of everything that God is doing and has done in your life, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 says, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Because of everything that God's done, because the miraculous work He's done in your life through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, because of all of those things that God has poured out upon your life, because of His grace and His mercy and His love for you, now we walk in a manner worthy, manner worthy of the calling 
with which you have been called. Paul was called by Jesus. And he had a unique calling upon his life. Jesus called Paul out of Phariseeism and into Christianity. Specifically, Jesus called Paul to be an apostle to the Gentiles. To go to the places who had never heard about God. To go to the places and proclaim the good news about how they too could receive salvation through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And through that mission, also Paul was called by Jesus to suffer for the kingdom. And so therefore now Paul, as he fulfilled that mission from Jesus, he writes in here, I as a prisoner for Jesus, because he literally wrote this letter from prison. And then ultimately Paul would go to Rome and be martyred for his faith in Jesus. That was Paul's unique calling from the Lord Jesus. Well, did you know that God has a calling? God has a purpose for your life. Did you know that? Well, if we're called to be unified in a disunified culture, how do, I do, how do we do that? First, we need to recognize that God has a purpose for us, a calling. This calling on your life is articulated by Jesus in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 to 39. Jesus is ministering to his people, teaching them the gospel, healing, saving people's lives, turning them back to the Father, explaining the gospel. And one of the religious leaders came up to him and said, Lord, what are the two, or what is the, what is the greatest commandment? And this was sort of like one of the biggest theological debates of the day. You know, it would be equivalent to, you know, what, what, what kind of music should we use in worship? Or, or are you Calvinist? Or are you Arminian? Or, or what do you believe about discipleship? Or how do we do small groups? All those sort of theological debates that we have today in the church. This, this was kind of the question, Right? And they were baiting him. They, they wanted him to say something that would sort of entrap Jesus so they could show the world that he was not really the Savior sent by God. And so they go to Jesus and say, Jesus, what do you think is the greatest commandment? And this is Jesus' answer in Matthew 22, verses 36 to 39. And through this, Jesus is going to articulate for you and I, what is our purpose on this earth? What is God calling us to do? Verse 36, he says, uh, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Verse 37, and he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The two greatest things that you could do on this earth is first to love God, That means to love, follow, worship, and obey Yahweh. Our first act of worshiping Him now, in this season of God's economy, uh, this season of God's timeline on this planet, is first to turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then from that point on, we use this book, and the ministry of the indwelling Holy Spirit to obey God's commands. That's how we love God, through obedience to God and to his word. 
That's our first purpose. That's our primary purpose. That's why God put us on this earth, to love and worship Him. And then second, the second commandment, the second thing that God calls us to do in fulfillment of our purpose is to love our neighbor, to love others. I can't think of a single more important thing to do in loving others than to tell them about Jesus. Could any other message, any other act of love be more important than to tell someone how they could be saved, born again, move from eternity in hell and damnation and into the marvelous light and seated with God in heaven, worshiping him? Is there anything better than to be saved? Nothing. Nothing. And so we are to turn from our sin and place our faith in Jesus and to tell other people about it. And then as believers, as those who love Jesus, we are to do good works in the name of Jesus to give God glory in heaven and to draw people to his love and faith in Christ. That's our purpose. That's what God has called us to do. So how do we live for Jesus in a divided culture? We fulfilled God's call, we fulfilled God's calling. We fulfilled God's purpose for our lives. Now some of you are saying, well, how do I do that? So so put some meat on these bones. Like how do I fulfill that purpose? How do I fulfill that calling? What's the plan? Anybody in here like a good plan? Yeah. I like a good plan. Well, God's given us a plan. Look at verse 2. With all humility, and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is God's plan for you and me to live for Jesus in the midst of a divided culture. Instead of being prideful, we should be humble. This means that we consider others to be more important than ourselves. Ooh, curl up your toes because this is going to get tough. Instead of being cruel, we should be gentle. This means that our attitude and our behavior towards others is meek, not demanding, not harsh. Instead of being frustrated, we should be patient. Now that word that he uses there, Patient, which you probably recognize some of these statements. I just preached on this, I think, two weeks ago. Paul wrote almost the same thing in the book of Colossians, which was my text from a couple weeks ago. So he wrote this in two different churches, so probably we could go through this twice, right? All right. Paul said we're supposed to be patient. Now this, this word patience is, in the Koine Greek, it's important for us to recognize it. This means to, to sort of be patient in the midst of difficult circumstances, right? It's easy to be patient when things are going our way, right? It's easy to be patient when the kids at home do what you want them to do. It's easy to be patient when you're getting along with your coworkers. It's easy to be patient when everybody agrees with what you think, right? That's when it's easy. That's not what this word means. Patience is, is listening to people, being humble, keeping your mouth closed and your ears open, in a circumstance when things aren't going your way, when we're being pressed and pushed, when we're struggling, we should be patient. 
Instead of canceling one another, we are to be tolerant. Now, I think the modern culture has, of course, hijacked that word tolerance. Take what you see the culture define tolerance as and just let's, let's do this. All right, do it with me. Ready? Let's do this. Let's throw it in the garbage. All right? Right? Not everybody's doing it. You don't Thank you. Okay. Kids, this, throw it in the garbage. Some of y'all aren't going to do it. Okay. Well, that's fine. You disagree with You keep a hold of that unbiblical definition of tolerance and let me define it for you. In here, in this part of the text, being tolerant means to love someone in the midst of difficult circumstances. Right? To bear with people even when you disagree with them because you love them. So in the midst of a divisive and divided culture, Instead of canceling others and walking away from relationships, we're going to be tolerant of them. We're going to love them in the midst of difficult circumstances. Rather than perpetuating a culture of disunity, look at verse 3. We are going to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And so now Paul sort of turns and speaks for a moment to the church. You know, in that moment, which I'm sure many of you remember, when you heard the gospel, and then just hear it with your ears, you heard it with your heart, and you were compelled by the Spirit to turn from your sin and to place your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, in that moment, God sent a gift to you called the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit is the one who helped you understand or convict you of your sin. He's also the one who helped you understand the gospel message and your need for Jesus. He regenerated your soul and caused you to be born again. You were recreated through faith in Jesus and made into a whole new person. And now God promises and does send that Spirit to dwell within you upon your regeneration. When you become born again, when you became a believer in Jesus Christ, you received God's Spirit inside of you. And now we're called as believers, as those who have God's Holy Spirit living within us, to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. As we were instantly unified with all believers upon our salvation because of the indwelling Holy Spirit, God calls us to preserve that unity. God's plan for us is to be unified with one another. And he gave us the tools to execute that plan. Through Jesus, God reconciled us with himself, adopted us into his family, and unified us as one church through the unifying Holy Spirit. And now, after that moment when God, through his mercy and grace, brought us all together through the indwelling Holy Spirit, now God has a command for us, a calling for us. This is his plan for us to preserve the unity. Right? So there's, there's a calling upon your life. There's something that we're called to do. God doesn't just make us unified through his spirit, right? He doesn't just uh, cause us to act like robots. He, he calls us to make a decision to choose to surrender to the leadership of the Holy Spirit and to be unified as a church. Now he uses that word preserve. 
Preserve means something available to you, something that exists inside of you. Now you've got to cultivate that unity. And that word preserve in the original language has two meanings. First, we should direct our attitudes and our actions toward maintaining the unity that, in, that Jesus enables us to have through the Holy Spirit. Right? This isn't a passive activity. It's work. It's intentional. It's directing and choosing to be unified with other people. And the second side of that coin, the other side of that meaning, is that we, in preserving unity, we should guard our attitudes and our actions to ensure that we contribute to unity. This means that we don't let our feelings run the show. This means we don't let our passions articulate our actions and our attitudes. We guard ourselves and our hearts through the Word, through the indwelling Holy Spirit, through the collective wisdom of God's church. We temper our feelings to ensure that our attitudes and actions promote unity among believers. You know, our culture promotes self above all other things. Self-interest, self-satisfaction, self-confidence, self-improvement. Our focus on ourselves above everyone else is the cause of disunity in our culture. It's because each person has made him or herself a god. What I want is what I deserve. What I think is right is the truth. And if I disagree with you, you're wrong at all costs. In a culture full of a lot of gods will obviously fail because there is only one true God. And his name is Yahweh. And his son is Jesus. And he indwells us with his Holy Spirit. That's not God's plan for us, to focus on ourselves at the cost of everyone else. Instead, God has this amazing plan. And let me read about that to you today. In Galatians 2.20, it says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. First and foremost, let's just lay this out, right? Mama was wrong. It's not about you. I'm so sorry. According to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it's not about you. All right, can we, can we accept that? Can we move on? All right, good, all right. Luke 9, 23. And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So we know it's not about me. Now we know I must deny myself and follow him. I must deny myself and follow Jesus. Galatians 5.24 continues, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. 
So it's not about me. In fact, it's not just not about me. I've got to deny myself and my natural inclinations, and I've got to make it about Jesus. And then third, I don't live by my passions and desires. I don't do what I want to do because it's not about me. I do what Jesus wants me to do. And that does involve, as he says, picking up my cross daily and following him. That does involve an element of self-sacrifice, of following him and making sacrifices for him and doing what he wants because he's the Lord of my life, not me. Now the blessing of that is an immeasurable, inexplicable, indescribable joy that comes from following Jesus and his plan for my life. Something that this world cannot, nor will it ever be able to give you, a joy from God alone. Now once we do that, some pretty amazing things happen in the church. 1 Corinthians 1.10 Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. When all of us as a church collectively agree, it's not about me. In fact, I'm going to pick up my cross. I'm going to follow Jesus daily. I'm going to surrender my, my, my heart, my desire, all of my things in my life to him. We become one mind. We're no longer divided like this culture. We're unified under Christ. The consequence of this plan is explained in Psalm 133, verse 1. Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Whew, that's good stuff. God is good. You see, we are not like the world. We are in the world, but not of the world. That means we live as lights for Jesus in this world, but we do not allow the culture to shape our thoughts and our minds and our attitudes. So how is this possible? Well, the church is particularly equipped to be unified in a disunified culture. Did you know that? The church is particularly equipped to fulfill God's plan. Let's just look together in verses 4 through 6 as we'll see the church's particularity. What makes us different? What enables us to do what God's called us to do? Look at verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. We are particularly equipped to remain united in a divided culture because of seven ones. Seven attributes of the church that bring us all together in the midst of a culture that seeks to tear us apart. We are one body. 
Paul loved to use the human body as an analogy for the church. He wrote often to the Corinthians and other parts of the New Testament that we are the body of Christ. We are his body. Right? He says, each of you is uniquely gifted, uniquely called, uniquely positioned by God in your local church. All of you that are in this room today, all of you that are a part of the mission of Fistory Baptist Church, you've been placed here by God. And he uniquely gifted you in, in a special way. And you've got something special to offer the rest of us in this church. Let me give you an example. Any of you need encouragement today? Just like any of you need some encouragement, right? Did you know there are people in this church who are uniquely gifted by God's Holy Spirit to encourage other people? That's pretty amazing. Any of you guys go to Sunday school today? Anybody? Some of you did, right? You went to Sunday school? There were people in those classes that taught you the Bible. And those people are uniquely gifted by God's Holy Spirit to teach the Word of God. That's a gift God gave them so that you could grow from that. So we're one body. Fifth Street Baptist Church, as a local church, is a body, and all of us are parts of that body, and all of us have something unique and special to offer. You have something unique and special to offer. This is the body of Christ, unlike any other group on the planet. We are His body, both locally and universally. Right now, all around the world, people are worshiping God. Hundreds of thousands of local churches gathered right now singing praises to God, preaching his word all around the world. All of us are part of the universal body of Christ. Right now we gather locally. One day we'll gather universally at the throne of God and we'll worship him and praise him. It'll be people of all different ethnicities, languages, people from all over the world with all kinds of histories and past, people that did unbelievable things, people that did things that no one knows about, and all of it will be celebrated at the throne of our king. We are also one spirit. It's pretty amazing to think that every one of you born-again believers has the Spirit of God living inside of you. Right? We look different. We talk different. We act different. But at the end of the day, if you look around, every one of you believers has God's Spirit inside of you. That's the same God. That's the same Holy Spirit drawing us together pulling us together, unifying us under the Trinitarian Godhead. We have the same Spirit who regenerated us and brought us a new life, the same Holy Spirit who gifts us uniquely, the same Spirit who illuminates God's Word and convicts our hearts. That same Spirit is inside of every single believer. That's why we're different from this world. Because the people of the world who do not yet know Jesus don't have the Holy Spirit inside of them. That's one of the reasons they're disunified and divided. And that's one of the big reasons why we're able to stay together, right? Because we got our problems, right? No, church is perfect. You never got a sideways look from anybody, right? 
It's an imperfect place full of imperfect people, but we all come here because Jesus is the great physician, and he's the one who heals the broken-hearted sinner, right? And that's what we are. And that's how we're able to come here and stay together, right? Sometimes it feels like, man, the Holy Spirit, we need an extra dose in this place. Come on, bring us together. Woo! Come on. We also have one hope. That word hope, that means hopeful expectation. That means faith in things not yet seen that one day will take place. We have hope first. That anyone that turns from sin and places their faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior will be saved. That's a hope that the lost and dying people in that world could be saved if they hear the gospel and repent and believe. We have a hope that God has immeasurable joy for us on this planet, in this life, and in eternity. We have a hope that one day the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. He's going to make all things right. He's going to take us up in heaven, and it's going to be amazing. And we're going to be with him in the new heaven and the new earth forever and ever. And people will join us from all places, all languages, all ethnicities. It's going to be pretty amazing. That's the hope that we have. We also have one Lord, our chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the captain of this ship. He's the general of this army. He's the one we follow, the one we listen to. He's our one leader. We also have one faith in that leader, in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a born-again believer, think about this. All of us as believers believe the same thing about Jesus. We're unified around that one faith, that one belief in the true gospel message of Jesus Christ. We also gather and circle around one baptism. Believers' baptism by immersion, confessing faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Our demonstration to the world that I belong to Him. And I will follow him. That I'm a part of his local church. And that I love his people. And I will serve his people. And give him glory. And expand his kingdom. Finally, we gather around one triune God. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Who is in all who created us and the world we see, who knows the beginning from the end. These are our particularities of faith, and those unify us in the midst of a divided culture. I don't know what brought you here today. I don't know what God's doing on your heart, but we're going to have a time of invitation now. Maybe for you, the calling upon your life today during this moment of decision, is to give your life to Jesus. Maybe you do not yet know him as Lord and Savior. That's your first step. Maybe you're tired of of getting moved back and forth by the winds of pop culture. Or maybe you feel like a person sitting in a wave going here and there and, and your feet are picked up from under you and you don't have a foundation. Place your faith in Jesus and have that firm foundation in him. Maybe you've been swept up as a believer in our culture. And maybe it's time to come home. Maybe it's time for you to reunite 
with God's people. Maybe you need to follow through with baptism or join this church. Or maybe you just need to pray. Maybe you're just overwhelmed right now with the burden of how difficult things are. And you want to bring that prayer to the Lord. You can come up here in just a minute. Everybody's going to stand and we're going to sing. I'm going to be in the front. And you'll have an opportunity to respond to whatever God's doing in your heart. I just want to compel you with this last comment. Don't let this moment of decision pass. If God's moving in your heart and in your spirit, respond to that. Whatever it is he's called you to do. Would everybody stand with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for being the unifying person in our lives. For sending your spirit to draw us together and to focus our attention on you, our great shepherd, our chief shepherd. I pray over this time of invitation, this moment of decision, if there's there's something in our heart that we just need to give to you just to lay at your altar that will do that. If the world has brought in any disunity in this church, I pray that you would remove that from our hearts, that you would once again unify us. That you would give us joy and love and that this world would see Fifth Street Baptist Church and know that we love one another because we love you. We praise your holy name and we ask that you move in a mighty way during this time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Come assurance.
walk in the face uncertain days because Christ lives because he lives I can face tomorrow because he tomorrow 